we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. For freelancers and small business owners, FreshBooks takes the pain out of accounting. Have a question about the service? A real live human will answer every call in about three rings. Get your 30-day free trial by going to freshbooks.com planet and entering promo code planet. This whole idea that U.S. soccer needs a savior or needs to be saved, anytime you're tempted to use the word savior or saved in a soccer context, don't do it. Just please don't do it. We didn't get on too much on the pitch. He was very competitive and um, many a time at Highbury, I remember Patrick sort of with his long legs flicking the ball over my head and getting it the other side and I was chasing him in his shadow. As I say, he would, he would, if he got nasty, he'd, you know, he'd be in your face and he'd let you know and I, I respected that. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I'm SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall. SI.com's Brian Strauss will join us a little later, and in a minute right now, we're going to welcome in uh, SI legal ace, Michael McCann, to talk about some things that are going on with the U.S. women's national team and U.S. soccer. Uh, A little later on, we are going to answer your questions. We have a reader mailbag. Uh, session with uh, with some really interesting questions that, uh, that you provided for us on Twitter and Facebook. So thank you for that. And we also have an interview uh, that Grant was able to do with Frank Lampard. So a very loaded show today. Uh, but want to start with the U.S. women. They opened Olympic qualifying with a 5-0 win, 5 nothing win over Costa Rica. Alex Morgan looked fantastic, scoring 12 seconds into the game. Uh, you know, it's funny. You think about uh, the U.S. women's national team scoring three goals in 15 minutes. You think that's so so it's such a difficult feat. And then you realize they did it in their last competitive game in the World Cup final. Uh, but obviously the story grant, uh, with this team is off the field right now and, and the ongoing lawsuit with us soccer, just if, if you can give us the, the meat and potatoes of, of that, and then we'll welcome in Michael, uh, for some, some legal analysis. Well, last week, the uh, U S soccer federation filed a suit in Chicago federal court. Uh, basically what they're trying to do is establish whether the collective bargaining agreement, the labor deal with the U S women's players exists or not. And, uh, it's a little complicated because uh, the last true collective bargaining agreement expired in 2012, but they signed a memorandum of understanding in 2013 that U.S. soccer believes is still in play until the end of 2016. After the Olympics, the players, their rep is saying, no, it's actually expired and that they reserve their rights, which includes striking before the Olympics. So that's the big question here that the court is going to decide is, is this collective bargaining deal still in effect? Do the players have the right to 
to go on strike before the Olympics in which they would have the leverage or not be able to do it before the Olympics, and then U.S. soccer would have the leverage. So uh, a lot in play. Uh, most The most recent development, uh, a judge ruling that the two sides are, are going to meet in, in early March. Uh, now, Michael, what's your take on, on this whole thing? And, and is there one side whose position comes off as, as stronger? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting case. There isn't one side, in my view, that has the clearly right answer. I think it's a debatable point. Certainly, if both sides assented to an extension of the CBA through a memorandum, that would suggest that the terms of the CBA continue in effect, even if the CBA itself has expired. Also, under labor law, normally the terms of a CBA continue in effect even after a CBA has expired, so long as the parties are engaging in negotiations. Now, that's not necessarily the case here, and it depends on how we define negotiations, but I think this is a this is a complicated case because of the fact that you have conflicting facts. You do have the fact that the CBA technically expired, but if the terms of the CBA continue through a different vehicle, in this case a memorandum, or if they continue in effect because the parties are bargaining, that would likely mean the terms continue. But regardless of that, the players should be able to strike. I mean, normally under labor law, there is a right to strike. And they can elect to use that right. So I think this this particular lawsuit may not actually end up resolving the strike issue. And in truth, my guess is that all of this is sort of a bit of theatrics in terms of gaining leverage as they negotiate a CBA. And you've got two very uh, vocal um, representatives for the U.S. women, uh, for the, the players union, Rich Nichols, the players rep, and then Jeffrey Kessler, a very high-powered Attorney, uh, Michael, you are familiar with his work with Tom Brady and the Deflategate case. Uh, their, uh, their, their comments that they've made, they, they're very pointed. They take aim at U.S. soccer. They say that U.S. soccer is to blame for a lot of this, that they're sitting on their hands for months. Uh, is, is this just uh, a, a ploy? Is it a play to get sympathy? Is it a play, a power play, or is there some legitimacy to it? I think a lot of it is directed towards public consumption that these types of statements are commonplace in terms of a lawsuit where the lawyers will argue the other side is clearly at fault. Uh, In in truth, both sides probably deserve some blame here, where there could have been a better negotiation strategy in place that they didn't have to get to the point where lawsuits are filed. That really, to me, is a failure of the process. And in that respect, I think both sides deserve some of the blame. And now you're going to have lawyers for each side trying to direct that blame on the other side. And, and certainly Jeffrey Kessler is as good as it gets in terms of a labor sport, a sports labor attorney. We know that he won Tom Brady's case. We know that he had some success representing unions and other disputes, NFL players in particular. The NBA players also retained him in their lockout back in 2011. This is a serious person in terms of you bring him on because you know he's going to not only raise strong legal arguments, but also, frankly, be very good with the media. This is a lawyer that has experience giving statements that are in part designed not for legal effect, but much more for public relations effect. So some of his rhetoric, I think, is directed that way. But but a lot of it is essentially trying to direct blame for something that both sides likely deserve some blame for. 
I'd also point out that Jeff Kessler has a history in soccer that uh, in cases over the years. Uh, there's another ongoing situation involving the NASL against U.S. soccer and challenging the sanctioning that U.S. soccer was trying to switch uh, to sanction leagues. Uh, NASL had a big problem with it. Kessler has been working with the NASL. Uh, so he's not uh, unaccustomed to challenging U.S. soccer. And then uh, there was the very famous case Uh, more than a decade ago now, against Major League Soccer and the whole single-entity system where Jeff Kessler was part of that case. And this was a situation in which he lost uh, that case to Major League Soccer, which had the court. um, I know there's, Michael, some uh, some other details connected, but basically, if I'm right, reaffirmed single-entity as legal, correct? You're exactly right, Grant. That was the Frazier case in the First Circuit. And that case, like you just said, involved whether or not MLS is a single entity, which is important because if it's a single entity, it's one business and its teams aren't independent competing businesses. And as a result, it's exempt from Section 1 of the Sherman Antitrust Act, which only governs competitors when they join hands and conspire. So being a single entity is a powerful recognition. Now, of course, as you know, Grant, you've written about MLS has changed quite a bit in the years since that case in terms of the manner in which it's structured. But yeah, this is a lawyer in Jeffrey Kessler who's very familiar with professional soccer, somebody who understands the sport, somebody who is going to be very conversant in how the legal arguments relate to the facts. Now, the this most recent development uh, that the judge um, has has called the, the two parties to meet um, in in early March is this is this a, a win for U.S. soccer uh, in in a way at all, or, or is is this kind of a, just a, a minor development uh, as as these things progress? Minor development, I would say. This is a hearing where basically the judge just wants to talk to the lawyers, and and we're going to see the judge in all likelihood tell both sides, get your act together. You know, don't. Why are you even in federal court over an issue that relates to? how much money players are going to make. This is something that ultimately isn't going to be resolved by a court. And both sides know that. Ultimately, it's going to be resolved by the sides reaching some kind of agreement. At some point, the question is how long they want to play out the legal process to reach that agreement. And I imagine the judge is going to be very stern and say, you know, before you use judicial resources, before you use your own time, think about the consequences of that. Think about the fact that at the end of the day, you're going to reach a deal that you could probably have already reached. It certainly seems like it's it's an avoidable situation. And even when U.S. Soccer announced uh, their their lawsuit, they said they reluctantly did this, and and maybe that's a, a PR ploy. Um, but but that said, it's it, Grant. It certainly seems like this is more uh, just a a stronger player rep standpoint than before. Perhaps that that the players are are just trying to get their message out through a, a more powerful means. Well, just a little background here. The Players Union was represented by a guy named John Langle, a uh, respected lawyer for uh, about 15 years, uh, from 2000 until the end of 2014. And then he was replaced by Rich Nichols. Uh, now, Rich Nichols appears to have taken a, a more aggressive stance against U.S. soccer, clearly more than John Langle ever did. Um, and... Uh, Rich Nichols is is not an unknown quantity here. Here's a guy who uh, has worked with athletes before in crisis management. Uh, Marion Jones was someone who he was connected to uh, a decade ago. Um, and he actually came on and worked with Hope Solo on her crisis management 
uh, a year ago. Uh, you know, now he is uh, the U.S. Players' representative, and so uh, it's been interesting to kind of see his uh, stance be more public than the one John Langle had, and and more aggressive against U.S. soccer. I even got to the point where in my predictions for 2016 on January 1st, I pointed this out and said, look for there to be more back and forth, more issues between uh, the U.S. women's players and U.S. soccer. Not a bad call. And here we are. <laughs> um, Michael, just be- before we uh, get out of here, I-, I guess where ultimately, given everything you've said and, and given the facts and given the law briefings, uh, do you see this ultimately being settled out, outside of court? Does that make set the most sense for, for both parties here? Yeah, I do. I, I would be very surprised if this litigates all the way out and they choose to have a judge resolve their labor dispute. There may be motions and proceedings that occur before any kind of resolution occurs. And as a result, this could play out quite a while. It could play out for months, maybe even beyond that. And I think the parties will realize, and they already know this, the legal process has its own schedule. It doesn't change, doesn't accelerate because high-profile sports lawyers and high-profile leagues and athletes are involved. It will move at its own pace, and that may be a source of frustration for both sides, where they know that at the end of the day, they're going to reach some deal that resolves this. And using the court system for leverage comes with some peril. You also lose control when you have a judge decide something. The judge who isn't going to be as familiar with the economics of soccer and the different preferences that occur for both sides. My guess is that it will take some time to play out, but I think it will ultimately be resolved through a settlement. Very interesting. Uh, It remains to be seen uh, how how vocal the players get about this during during, you know, this run up to the Olympics. That's obviously a a big landmark here. Uh, And if the threat to strike uh, becomes real, then uh, then that's something that We'll have to keep an eye on going forward. Um, but Michael, I want to thank you so much for, for your time and expertise. Definitely uh, read anything he's, he has done and continues to do for SI.com. Uh, just really spot on stuff and sports and, and law have, have never been more intertwined, it seems. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then welcome uh, Frank Lampard for an interview that Grant, you were able to do with him uh, out in Los Angeles. Want to avoid tax fraud charges like some of your favorite soccer players around the world? Got a solution for you. For a better way to manage your books and make tax season easy, try FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software designed exclusively for service-based small business owners. It's the personal accountant you've always needed right in your pocket. FreshBooks is fast. You can create and send an invoice in 30 seconds. It's easy for customers to pay online, and FreshBooks clients get paid five days faster than average. Have a question about the service? Just contact their award-winning support team and get help from real live humans. They answer every call in about three rings. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, no I'll get back to you. Just helpful service at the drop of a hat. Right now, FreshBooks is offering our listeners 30 days of unrestricted use, totally free, and you don't need a credit card to sign up. So to get this 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com planet and enter planet in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com planet and enter promo code PLANET. We have a special guest on the Sports Illustrated podcast today. He's Frank Lampard. 
Uh, terrific player for so many years in the Premier League. He's now with NYCFC. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to start out by asking about something that is very unique to MLS. Every team loses a fair amount. You know, even the teams that win the league lose mm-hmm. fairly often. Mm-hmm. You've always played for teams that that win a lot. Yeah. How hard has that adjustment been? <laughs> it's been hard. I mean, nobody likes losing, and we, we we lost more games than obviously we should have done last year. But I, I see what you mean. I think the, the I think one of the beauties of the MLS is the competitive nature, the level playing field as such. I don't think I don't know it's a structure and salary caps and these things, but you know in Europe we tend to have um, two or three teams that dominate that you'd expect to win the league every year. Um, in the MLS is different. I enjoy that. I think it gives everybody a chance. The playoff system again adds to that. It gives everybody a chance till the end. But you know, I think you should never lose sight. You should never be acceptant of a loss. You know, and that's what we have to make sure any team doesn't. And us at New York now, we have to think we want to win every game. That must be your aim. But uh, again, you can't win them all. So then you have to bounce back if you do lose. Are the keys to winning a game in this league different than in the Premier League? Just due to the makeup of the teams and having three guys allowed who are maybe making a lot more money than the rest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's fundamental differences. And I think yeah, the, the, that, the system here, as we know, I think that, that, that with the three designated players, the, the, the responsibility is on the players, as in the three players. They have to be humble. They have to mix with their teammates. They have to show that the, the, the money or the salary if it is, isn't an issue. Um, and that's up to you as a player to mix. And I think I'd like to think all three of us at New York do that. And we we have a very together dressing room, uh, locker room, as they call it here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think listen. I think the rules are the same in football world over. You know, to to win games, you have to be organised as a team. You have to defend very well for a start, um, and and play together. Um, and so I, I don't think the rules are any different in those terms. And that's what we didn't do well enough last year. And that's what we'll try and do better this year. NYCFC has a new manager, Patrick Vieira. Could you tell me a good story about the two of you when you played against each other in England? We didn't get on too much on the pitch. He was very competitive. <laughs> and um, it's, no, it was great. I, I, I was slightly younger than Patrick uh, by a few years. And uh, so I came through a bit fresh, uh, a bit naive. And uh, many a time at Highbury, I remember Patrick sort of with his long legs flicking the ball over my head and getting it the other side. And I was chasing him in his shadow. But no, I, it was great. I learned from him. I learned from playing against him. Um, as I say, he would, he would, if he got nasty, he'd, you know, he'd be in your face and he'd let you know. And I, I respected that. And I think he uh, has, has done very well since he's finished and decided to go into management. He's done the grassroots side. You know, he's been working with the young players in Manchester, you know, not, not going straight into the big job. I think he's done his school in there. And I think we'll get the benefits of that next year with him. How is Vieira the manager similar to Vieira the player? How is he different? Well, this this remains to be seen. I, as I, I work with him slightly at Manchester, but not day to day, you know, in, in, on the pitch so much. So um, I think we'll see that. Um, I, I'm guessing, and this is a guess, as I say, he was very emotional as a player and physical, but maybe as a manager, you have to be slightly more level-headed. You know, maybe you have to kind of accept things and try and be level-headed to keep the players in a positive nature. But I'm sure he'll find his way. His experience will help, you know, the way he played and teams that he played for, that will help him straight away. So, you know, we'll see how his personality adapts, but I'm sure he's going to do it in the right way. Now that you've had half a season to play with Andrea Pirlo and David Villa, Mm. what will be easier this year? 
Well, I guess with time and experience, the link up between all three of us, and not just the three of us, the whole team. I mean, they're great players. I didn't find any issues with trying to play with them because great players are pretty easy to play with. You know, Andrea's passes are always on the money. Uh, David will always make, create, and score goals. You know, more you know, score goals as much as any striker in world football over the last ten or fifteen years, really. So. Um, I think we might just have a, a year's worth more experience as a team, as a group, and I think that will hopefully be the difference. We we haven't got the excuses we had last year. Oh, you know, we're, we didn't know each other. We're a, a new franchise. Did next year that that excuse goes, and we have to perform. One question for you here about a player who I find very intriguing on your team is Poku. Yeah, how good is he? He's good. He's good, and, and I'm really pleased with him. It's a great story, you know, for a lad that got plucked up for us last year nobody really knew him and uh, I think he's got so much talent and I think that the thing for him to do now would be to work on that talent and for people around him to help him and I'll, I'll try and help him as well because he, you know he has a really sort of raw talent he can do things with the ball he excites the crowd he can beat people and score goals and he just needs to add in the other parts of his game now he needs to work hard on, the, on his fitness I think his physical side I think he can be more than just an attacking player I think he can be a bit more of an all-round midfield player I think he has all the tools to do that um, and good luck to him. You know, he broke into his national team last year. Um, a very nice lad, wants to do the right thing. So yeah, an exciting player, and I think he can be a he can be a weapon for us this year. Last season, when you played in Vancouver, I saw a photograph of you having dinner with Andrea Pirlo and Carlo Ancelotti, who mm-hmm. was living there because his wife's from there. Right. I, I read. Yeah. It must have been a fun dinner. What do you remember from it? It was good fun. And I remember all, oh, we, you know, we weren't drinking so much, so it was good. We had a glass of red wine and we had a game a few days after. But no, it was, uh, Carlo Ancelotti is one of the best, nicest men, best managers that I've worked with in, in football and, and known generally. Uh, he's such a gentleman and uh, it was great to meet up with him again, having worked with him for two years. Same with Andrea, obviously. He has worked with him even longer. We, we both had huge respect. So he took us to a lovely Italian restaurant that his friend runs. They brought, you know, as good Italians there, they brought us about 20 courses of pasta and meat and fish and more pasta and pasta. And uh, we had a great night. It was nice. You know, you, you make... It's nice to have friends in football and some, sometimes, you know, you have acquaintances and you move on and on a lot. People like Carlo and Charlotte are ones that you hope you stay friends with for a long time. What is the biggest unknown for you about your team this year? What do you want to find out? Well, we want to find out if we can consistently win games. We, we, we had a few periods last year where we won a couple of games and you go, go on then, let's go and win more games. It makes us into that, the top bracket of, of, of a team. And we didn't. We didn't have the consistency. That's what I want to see. And that's down to all of us. You know, We all have to take responsibility for that. We need to, to start the season well. We need to have winning runs of games. You know, They, they were t- far too brief last year. And if we can do that, then we'll have as good a chance as any team. Lastly, you're 37 now. Mm-hmm. This is the last year of your contract. Mm-hmm. Is it the last year of your playing career? Uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, if if I can play as well as I, as I believe I can and feel as good as I, I, I believe I feel at the moment, um, you know, it's up to the club. You know, I'm I'm going to try and play for as long as I can in this career. So it's, well, mine's been a, a long career, actually, in football years, but it's a short career in effect. You know, it can finish any time up to probably around 40 if you're incredibly lucky. So I'll try and play as long as I enjoy and as long as I'm wanted. So... You know, I need New York to play ball if it's going to go any longer than that. And if I'm scoring goals, helping the team win, then hopefully it will happen. Frank Lampard, good luck this season. Thank, Thank you for talking to us. Thank you very much. Fans. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Ernie Johnson is the host of the NBA on TNT, one of the most successful live studio shows in sports television. He's also this week's guest on the SI Media podcast, and he'll tell Richard Deitch about working with the likes of Charles Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny Smith 
and he'll speak on his public battle to overcome cancer and return to the studio. Ernie Johnson, this week on the SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or at si.com slash podcasts. Okay, welcome back. We want to welcome in Brian Strauss from the Washington, D.C. area now. Brian, welcome. Hello. That's the, that's the excitement we're hoping for. We are, we're diving into something exciting now. Uh, we took some of your questions on Twitter and Facebook uh, yesterday, anything in the world of soccer, uh, and now we want to provide some of those answers. It's a, it's a podcast reader mailbag, if you will. Uh, so, Grant, let's start with you. Our first question comes from Aaron Killaw. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, at False9The. Uh, what do you think of Christian Pulisic's national team future this year? Does he stay with the U20s, go to the U23s, or even the full national team? Well, on the one hand, you don't want to rush this guy. He's just broken into the Dortmund first team, getting minutes for the second place team in the Bundesliga. Um, and you don't want to push up the height meter way too much on this guy. We have a long history of, of doing that with our teenage players. He's a young 17 now, at the same time, there's something kind of hanging over this, which is he has a Croatian passport. Now, he has not expressed any desire to play for Croatia, but if you're Jurgen Klinsmann and you want him to get cap tied, maybe you might consider playing him in an official senior game sooner rather than later. So that could mean uh, March, uh, World Cup qualifiers, uh, could mean uh, November, World Cup qualifiers, um, and I guess that's one question for Jurgen Klinsmann that would be good to know. Um, at the same time, you know, he played uh, Pulisic in the under-17 World Cup, was one of the few bright spots on an otherwise bad team. Um, and, you know, you kind of want to see him go through, uh, through the ranks, uh, remembering he's just 17. Indeed he is. Brian, do you have a, you have a, a thought on Pulisic? Um. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, he could also be captain in September when the U.S. closes out the semifinal round against St. Vincent or Trinidad. You would think that if uh, the, the the guys get their job done and, and have sealed passage by then, uh, you know, that's the game maybe where you put him in for a couple minutes, uh, you know, against in the in the finale against Trinidad when 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 things don't matter at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, he's only 17. I, the U-20s don't have a have a very busy year. It's an off year for them. Um, and so then the other, you know, the other possibility would be the U23s, um, where Dortmund wouldn't be obliged to release him for those uh, that playoff in March. Um, obviously, Herzog has a team sort of set, and he's got guys who sort of play uh, underneath the forwards, whether it's Heinemann or Gill or Zalalem or I mean, I mean, it's it's it would be hard to sort of integrate integrate Pulisic at this late stage. So. Um, you know, maybe he comes in with the U-20s when they have a camp, if Dortmund lets him come, and maybe in September uh, when things are sealed and qualifying, maybe Jurgen gives him a, you know, a 90-second run on the field to cap time. All it takes is one second, really, to, to, to be cap tied, and, and that would be that. Uh, okay, next question from Stephen O'Regan, at Stephen O'Reg. Uh, Brian, let's, let's throw this one to you. What do you make of plans to create a Euro breakaway Super League? Greed is killing the game. Love the editorial at the end. Um, you know, they, they, there was they just had the European Club Association meeting last week, and 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 a couple guys who came out of that were quoted as saying that you know that's not something really that they're specifically planning. Uh, you know, every few years this comes up as a possibility, and it seems like it's really done to sort of you know uh, extort more 
you know, extort format and revenue concessions from UEFA, um, you know, who, who might be terrified that the big names could leave. Uh, th- this is the thing that I don't think really ever gets brought up about this, is if these clubs uh, quit their national leagues and, and created an independent European Super League, they could theoretically, I think, be thrown out of UEFA and FIFA. And if they are, then any player under contract with those clubs would be ineligible uh, to play in UEFA and FIFA competitions, meaning their their international careers would be over. So I, I, I don't know if that's like the ultimate sort of stick here that FIFA and UEFA have uh, to keep these clubs in line. Maybe there's always a threat. Maybe it's negotiation. Uh, but I wonder if, if, if the ultimate end game uh, is sort of that game of chicken uh, between whether or not these clubs want to risk, you know, being outside of, of, of world soccer's governing structure and making their players ineligible to represent their countries. I would add also, this is, as Brian says, not a new story. Uh, with the return of the SI vault, uh, I think we could actually dig up some pieces from decades past. I remember when I started at Sports Illustrated in the 90s that we did a story on the potential of a European Super League. Um, so uh, here we are in 2016. It hasn't happened. It sort of just comes up from time to time with uh, the European clubs wanting to remind uh, UEFA and FIFA that, well, we get a ton of money and we have a lot of influence, but we're not actually going to exercise this. It was also interesting that a couple of the couple of them were quoted as saying that they really uh, wanted to keep the World Cup at 32 teams. And, and I, I don't I don't know who's clamoring for a 40 team World Cup other than, you know, the, the presidential candidates, you know, trying to get votes from Africa and Asia. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know that it, I, I don't really want to see one. I don't see how that would improve the tournament. And clearly the guys who employ the best players in the world don't want to see it either. Well, that, that said, though, I mean, that it is a very much in the news type of thing right now. I've spoken to Gianni Infantino, one of the favorites to win the FIFA presidency on February 26th, and he says he wants to expand it to 40 teams. And that, of course, does play well with voters in the Caribbean and Africa and Asia. But those are also the voters who would cause that change to happen. And so I think we could very well be looking at a 40-team World Cup uh, maybe not 22, but 26. Grant, you uh, you mentioned storylines from from the 1990s and, and 1980s. So let's think up another one that that came up on Twitter this week. Uh, this is this is my reader mailbag question. How can U.S. soccer be safe? <laughs> when is the USA going to produce a Messi? So this week, the Atlantic, uh, a, a very respected magazine, came out and uh, had a story that's actually an interesting story. Once you get past the headline and the opening to it about can this man save U.S. soccer? And it's about a guy who's a a teaching educator. He coaches coaches, and uh, U.S. soccer has hired him. Actually, you should forget reading the headline and and read most of the story, which is interesting. But uh, I don't tend to call out other media uh, just because I'm generally glad when anyone decides to cover soccer. But this whole idea that U.S. soccer needs a savior or needs to be saved, anytime you're tempted to use the word savior or saved in a soccer context, don't do it. Just please, don't do it. It's lazy. It assumes that something is so simple that you have the answer to making soccer work in America. And nobody has that easy answer. And anyone who says they can provide easy answers, just don't listen to them. And there you have it. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> Brian, our next question comes from Hater Davis. 
That's his real first name. That's awesome. Uh, at Soccer Senor. With the expansion of MLS, would they ever go old school MLB style? East only plays West. West plays West. East versus West MLS Cup. I believe this is in in asking about the the regular season, not the All Star game, which I know you have a, a lot of feelings about. Uh, no, I don't think there's any chance of it. I, I think it would I think it would be suicidal. I mean, you know, the the, the league. Uh, and the clubs are trying so desperately to 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 develop players, to to lure more attractive players, to to develop a national and international footprint. You know, shutting off half of your teams from the other half of your teams, ensuring that big stars uh, never make an appearance in half the markets in your league is insane. I, I don't I don't see what the point of it would be. Um, as the league grows, obviously. Uh, teams will play fewer teams home and away during the regular season. I mean, for example, uh, when, when, when it's a 28 teams, uh, you'd play seven teams in your conference home and away. Uh, and then the rest of the teams, you know, either at your place or theirs, and then it would reverse the following season. Uh, you know, fans want to see the big names and the big players in this league and ensuring that they see them at least once every two years and ensuring you get interregional matchups and rivalries, you know, New York versus LA, Toronto versus Vancouver, you know, Seattle versus DC, whatever. I mean, that's, that makes for TV and that's what this league needs. So, I mean, I think that would be the last thing MLS would ever, uh, would ever consider. Uh, I think it's a dumb idea. Yeah. I, I think too, just adding onto that, that you're more likely to see a, a balanced schedule in, in which every team plays each other twice. Maybe you emphasize a, a couple of the rivalries a little more. Uh, than than going in the complete opposite direction, um, but hey, fair question. Uh, Grant, next one for you from at Andrew Cam. The Zika virus is obviously a legit concern for women Olympians. Have any men stated that they might not go because of those concerns? So I haven't heard any men yet, but not many Olympians I think have even been asked about their feelings. This is an emerging story uh, with Zika virus getting bigger. Uh, in Brazil kind of by the day, especially in certain parts of the country. Hope Solo did make some news on SI.com earlier this week when she told me that if she had to choose today, she would not go to Brazil for the Olympics because of Zika virus. Uh, There's a fair amount of time between now and August. And so I think there's going to be a lot more education. There's going to be a lot more knowledge in general of what this risk is. But uh, the questioner is right in the sense it's not just a concern for females. It's a concern for anybody, male included, going to Brazil, uh, including athletes, fans, media, all that stuff, because uh, it is something that can be transmitted uh, to women uh, by men. And so, um, you know, the main thing I hope is that this doesn't become some hysterical situation where uh, bad media turns this into uh, just a, a big explosion of fear that people are able to make decisions based on what the scientific facts are. And, and sometimes that doesn't always happen. Well said. Well said. Um, Grant, let's keep it with you. Going back to MLS from Phil Luchford at Luchi10. Do you see Vancouver and FC Dallas at the top of the MLS Western Conference? What are your thoughts on LA? How long will Bruce take to integrate, integrate the new players? Well, I think L.A. is the most interesting team in the West just based on who's no longer there and who is there now. And, uh, you know, will a guy like Ashley Cole or Nigel DeYoung have a big impact in this league? Will Van Dam be an upgrade from Omar Gonzalez as a center back? Uh, is this Bruce Arena's potential last season? Uh, and, and will Steven Gerrard 
have more of an impact this year than he did last year. So that'll be a very interesting story to follow all season long. Uh, you look at Vancouver and Dallas, and they proved during the regular season last year that they were the best teams in the West. Now, as we all know, the regular season doesn't win you a heck of a lot, and they didn't do in the playoffs what they did in the regular season, particularly Vancouver, which I think is going to have a question mark hanging over it until it actually makes a deep playoff run, which it hasn't yet. Uh, that said, the West appears to me to be the better conference again this year heading into the season, and it's going to be really tough to uh, you know, to make the playoffs uh, for just about any team in the West. So I'm you know, really looking forward to it. I'm excited for MLS season to start. Uh, on March 6th, not too far away. Yeah, it's around the corner. Brian, uh, what what are you thinking? Is Portland getting getting the shaft here? They they just won the whole thing, made, made some changes. But... Uh, they were fantastic over the last couple months of the season, and they they made some really intriguing moves, uh, adding depth and getting some some talented and hungry guys in. So I, I don't know how you put uh, Dallas or Vancouver above above Portland at this point. Um, I mean, de- look, Dallas is really good. They're young, exciting. You know, Diaz, Castillo, Acosta, Barrios, these guys are stars. Uh, you know, Matt Hedges is a, is a very good defender, um, but they don't have anyone who scored double digit goals last year. Blas Perez is gone. I mean, they brought in Max Arruti, but, you know, he, he wasn't great for Portland last year. So uh, unless they find a guy, uh, I think, who couldn't who can, you know, play high and occupy defenders and, and bang in 10 or more goals. Uh, maybe he's on the roster now. We just don't know who it is. Maybe they're going to bring someone in. But but until they do, uh, I'm not sure that I put them above uh, Portland, maybe Seattle. Uh, in, in the West, uh, Vancouver was 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 pretty awful down the stretch last season, and I agree with Grant. I mean, until they finish strong, uh, there are going to be some questions there. I mean, other than Bolaño, so I'm not even sure who they added. Um, L.A. In terms of Bruce integrating that team, this is Bruce. You know, he figures he's got until August to figure it out. Uh, so I don't think he's going to be too stressed out. Uh, you know, they didn't have a good season last year. Uh, you know, like Grant said, it, it, Gerard just didn't have the impact uh, they had hoped. Uh, but you know. Bruce has got six months to figure this out, and based on his history, uh, he, you know, I bet I bet on him uh, to do so, and and to see LA be a threat at the end. A hundred percent, and you can be sure that along the way you will get some fantastic one-line responses uh, to some to some great questions. Um, Grant, this is from a Facebook reader, uh, Jack Manley. Do you think there's a real chance for Barcelona to repeat their trouble from last season? And if they do, does that make this current group the best side of all time? They're the favorite uh, in in all three of these competitions, uh, including Champions League, especially La Liga, Copa del Rey. They put a touchdown on Valencia last week. Um, So then when you get into best ever questions, it gets, um, you know, if you really wanted to respect the history and do that research, I haven't done it yet, but they would certainly be in the discussion, I would think. And you know, when you talk about best ever, it's partly about results. It's also about sort of the memories people associate with watching a team play. And when you see what Messi and Neymar and Suarez have been doing now for over a year, this to me is the greatest show in sports right now. The best story in sports is Lester. The greatest show in sports <laughs> is MSN with Barcelona. And they've actually made MSN sound cool uh, when MSN was not a very cool thing. <laughs> Uh, you also have to ask the question, is this the best Barcelona side in the last 10 years before you start right. asking, is, is this the best team of all time? But that said, no one's repeated his Champions League uh, winner for over 20 years, right? And and that's it's just something that that doesn't happen all that frequently. So if it does happen in this era of all this mass spending and things like that, you, you definitely 
have to consider that. Brian, uh, what, what do you think about that? I, I agree with Grant. I mean, the, the, the question is, do they have a real chance? They're the favorite. I mean, they, they have a great chance to do it. And, and the draw is kind to them as well with, with Bayern and Juventus, you know, knock it. One of them will knock the other out in the round of 16 of the champions league, uh, taking away one of the very few teams I think uh, would match up against Barcelona. Um, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, this, this is where, uh, you know, you realize sort of the, the, the limits of, of, um, you know, sort of our connection with the global game. You know, I, you, growing up in this country and getting into soccer as a kid, uh, you know, we didn't have access uh, to, to video of, of, you know, the Madrid team from the 50s and the Ajax and Bayern team from the 70s. And, and even when Milan was dominating in the late 80s and early 90s, I, I don't think, you know, I think Champions League games started showing up on US TV like in 92 or 93 um, so, so these teams are sort of legendary, but I, I wish I'd seen more of them, you know, other than the occasional thing you see on YouTube, you know, I wish there was a, an NFL films for, you know, the European cup in the, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s, that kind of thing. So we read about them, we respect them, we see the big names, uh, but you know, it, it's just hard to really compare what we see now and the exposure we have now to some of these legendary teams from way back when. Um, but yeah, your, your point, you know, is this Barcelona team even better than the one from, you know. Oh, nine to 11. I mean, that, that's even a debate that might be interesting to have. So I agree with Grant. They're awesome to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they have to be the favorite to win the treble again. And, and um, you know, they're obviously uh, coming off a Club World Cup triumph as well. So they're phenomenal. If you'd like, I could do my voice impression of Alfredo de Stefano coming back from the grave to argue against this Barcelona team being one of the greatest of all time. Is, is that a thing? I haven't worked on my Alfredo de Stefano voice coming back from the grave yet, but if you want me to. Yeah. There's only one answer to that question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Next week on the Planet Football Club. Let's, uh, let's, I'll let's. Do, I'll do, I'll do Pushkas. I'll work on my Hungarian. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's close with probably the most poignant question uh, that we got. It's from uh, DJP on Twitter, at MrDJP86. Uh, Grant, let's start with you on this one. I just bought my ticks to the USMNT World Cup qualifier in Columbus. Can you get me on the field for pregame? Um, I'm going to throw out some conditions uh, for, for us to get you on the field. Um, one, you have to be wearing the new Columbus kit in its entirety. The away kit. Uh, the new horrible one. <laughs> <laughs> or a horrible great one. Uh, and you also it's have... Both, isn't it? It's horrible and great. And and you also... It really, it really is. And you also have to run quotes and transcribe all of our quotes. <laughs> Brian, what, uh, do, you, do you have any other conditions to add? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tight with Jurgen. So, uh, you know, and, and Jurgen, as we know, has said that anybody can play left back. So, um, you know, I would, I would tell him to, to start, you know, running hills and getting in shape. And I'll see what I can do in terms of getting him a start at left back uh, in Columbus. I'm really tight with. Uh, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> there's there's no better way to end. Uh, thank you all for for your for your questions and your submissions. We'll definitely do this again uh, down the line. If you have any, just if you if you have questions for us in general, if we're not doing this segment, shoot them our way, uh, and we'll try and work them in to the things that we do. We love hearing from you guys, the readers and listeners. Uh, so with that put a wrap on this week's podcast I want to thank michael mccann for joining us earlier frank lampard for his time for grant wall brian strauss our producer alex abnos i am avi creditor we'll talk to you next week on the planet football podcast
Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.